on the Sermon on the Mount, on the Upside Down Kingdom, and I just wish to speak to you today on the subject of the priority of Pentecost. The priority of Pentecost, and our text is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 4 through 8, and then we're going to skip over and read from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And may the Lord add his rich blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Dr. Jerry Vines, who was a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, once said this, the average Christian and the average church are somewhere bogged down between Calvary and Pentecost. They have been to Calvary for pardon, but they have not been to Pentecost for power. Selah, where are you this morning? If you've been to Calvary for pardon, part of God's package is also being to Pentecost for his power. You know, as Christians, we celebrate Christmas because it means what? Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus didn't determine to stay in heaven. He came to earth to reveal the Father to us. And we celebrate Easter because it means God is for us. The Father did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. He died, he was buried, but he raised again so that he could be for us. So that we could experience the blessings of his great salvation. But somehow we don't think much about celebrating Pentecost. Yet it is only through Pentecost that we can experience the reality of Christ because it is now through Pentecost that God is not only with us, that God is not only for us, but because of Pentecost, God is in us by the Holy Spirit of God. And aren't you thankful for that this morning? We have failed, sadly, to give attention to the priority of Pentecost, and as a result, so many Christians are living powerless lives. And the fact that Pentecost has been largely ignored, it really speaks to a deeper problem in Christendom. Many of us are familiar with the name Francis Chan. He wrote a book that became very popular called The Forgotten God where he speaks about Holy Spirit, 
the third person of the Godhead who has been largely forgotten. And he says this, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes, even forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say that they have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives for over the past year. And many of them do not even believe that they can. I wonder if any sitting in this church or under the sound of my voice this morning can say, yes, that is true of me. That it's been a very, very long time since I had some cognitive recognition that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in me, making Jesus real to me. Francis Chan continues, with the entertainment model which so many churches like to pattern after today, our pews have become filled with self-focused consumers instead of spirit-filled believers. That's a sobering challenge and thought this morning. Am I a self-focused consumer? Is it all about God, give me, give me, give me, what can you do for me? Or is it more about, I open my heart to you, fill me with the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Sadly, the reality of the American church in this 21st century is that we're living in a day of pep, promotions, and programs. And in our churches, we're trying to make up for what we don't have in Pentecostal power. We don't need more programs. We don't need more pep. We don't need more promotions. We need Pentecostal power. That is the single most crying need of the church of Jesus Christ today. And we could sit back and say, yeah, our churches need Pentecostal power. But do you know where that Pentecostal power begins? It begins with me. And it begins with you. So how many of us are saying, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer? The story is told that Billy Graham once went to visit a very large, influential church. And the pastor told them the sad story that how their church had to discipline one of their prominent members and excommunicate him because he was an unrepented alcoholic and he was picked up for drunken driving. Billy Graham listened to this sad tale and responded, yes, pastor, that's very sad. But when was the last time you excommunicated a member of your church for not being filled with the Spirit? The pastor was so puzzled by his response. He said, uh, Dr. Graham, what do you mean by that? And Billy responded with these words. That same scripture in Ephesians 5.18 that says it's a sin to be drunk with wine also commands believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about it this morning. The early church really had nothing. They had no buildings. They had no technology. They had no marketing ploys. They had no fancy worship teams with their great sound systems with lights and some churches are even using smoke machines. Anything to attract the attention and get people enthusiastic in a soulish way about worshiping God. They didn't have any of that. But do you know what they did have? They had everyday, ordinary believers who were filled with the Spirit of God. And with that filling, with that anointing of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us they turned their world upside down. 
What is the church of Jesus Christ doing in this 21st century? We have all of these fancy programs and we have our beautiful churches and we have all the technology and all of the marketing and anything and everything that should attract people to Jesus Christ. But we've come so irrelevant and people are coming and playing church and going to coffee clatches and they walk in the church and leave unchanged, untouched. God help us. The priority of Pentecost needs to be a priority in each and every one of our lives. If High Street Worship Center is going to become a church full of the Holy Spirit, full of the demonstration of the power of God. It will only be as a result of every one of us sitting in these pews, filled with the Spirit of God ourselves. This is a non-negotiable and a requirement for every believer. And that's what the Word of God teaches us so this morning we want to lay, first of all, a bit of a foundation for what Luke meant when he said that on the day of Pentecost, it's what church denominations are built on. The Pentecostal denomination is the fastest growing denomination in evangelicalism. But what does it mean on the day of Pentecost? Well, Pentecost was actually on the Jewish calendar, the fourth of seven celebration feasts that God had called Israel to observe. If you want to read about those, you could find those seven feasts recorded in Leviticus and 23. It was a festival of great joy because there was thanksgiving, celebrating the faithfulness of God and allowing them to bring in a harvest. In Hebrew, it was called Shavuot, which really means weeks. And it's called the Feast of Weeks because God specifically told the children of Israel that they were to count seven sevens of weeks. That is seven complete weeks from the Feast of first fruits. And if you could do your math, seven times seven equals what? 49. And then the scripture stipulated that this feast would take place on the morrow. So 49 days on the morrow would be the 50th day and that would be precisely 50 days after the Passover. The feast was then named Pentecost. Of course, not in the Hebrew Bible, but in the Greek Bible because penta means 50 or five and it comes from that root word. Now think with me about this connection of the Feast of Pentecost to the Passover. Because remember, it was through the Passover that the people of God were delivered out of Egyptian bondage. And aren't you thankful this morning that it's through the Passover that we celebrated? What was the Lord's Supper? It was a Passover feast because the blood is being spilt, and by the shedding of that blood, there is deliverance out of bondage. If you're in bondage today, you need to eat of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, and drink of his blood. Believe in him, and as Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. You need to take in Jesus Christ. You need to receive him in his fullness. He doesn't offer a, a little bit of salvation. He offers a full salvation and a complete salvation that means we with the fullness of our hearts wide open no reservation no holding back no saying God you can have this much but this much is mine it all belongs to him and when we receive that then we can experience that great salvation so during Shavuot which is the feast of weeks on this very day the Jewish people are celebrating what? What God did way back when, after the Passover, 50 days after, he gave them Torah. He gave them the first five books of the Old Testament. 
And he says, as I give you these commandments, I'm marrying you. Will you obey these commandments? And if you read in the Old Testament, the children of Israel said, we will obey the word of God. We will walk in your precepts. We will fulfill your commandments. And now every year since back then, the Jewish people celebrate Torah. You know how they reverence those first five books of the Bible. That's their rule book for living. Sadly, they don't understand that the law was given to be a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It's a teacher that shows us we can't in ourselves fulfill the law of God. It's humanly impossible for a man in his own strength, by his own sinful nature, ever to please God. How many lies do you have to tell before you're called a liar? Just one. And we think that we can, oh, I just committed one sin. Well, that sin, one sin, condemns you as a sinner. And the soul that sins, it shall surely die. We need a Savior. And Jesus came to fulfill the law and to put his spirit in us so that we could live not by the law, but by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets us free. So while the Jewish people are, are thanking God for giving them Torah, what are Christians all around the world doing on the day of Pentecost? We're praising God for what took place over 2,000 years ago as was recorded in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, what happened? The New Testament church was born in a blaze of glory. Exactly 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Jesus was crucified on the cross, Pentecost took place. Consider the context for Pentecost as Luke recorded it in the book of Acts. We know that before Jesus ascended into heaven, his last words to his disciples as we read in Matthew 28 that we've become familiar to call the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Or some of us are more familiar with go into all the world and preach the gospel. But literally Jesus was saying, go into all the nations and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is only as we fulfill that that we are fulfilling the Great Commission. But in conjunction to that Great Commission, he also commanded his disciples, don't you dare take one step out into that world before you first go and tarry in Jerusalem. And tarry there and wait for the promise of the Father. We read about that in Acts 1-4. And while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, what is the promise of the Father? Let's be careful that there is no confusion here. That the experience that Jesus was talking about when he said you needed to go into Jerusalem and tarry in the upper room for the promise of the Father, that is what we as Pentecostals refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is not the same as the new birth. There are a lot of people that say when you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit. Yes, when you got saved, the Spirit of God came into you and regenerated you, made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Does not the scripture say that at one time Jesus appeared to his disciples and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit? I believe that was their regeneration. That's when they were truly converted. It was after he paid the price on the cross after he made provision through the cross for salvation. Yes, they walked with Jesus, they learned from Jesus, they were discipled by Jesus, but they became 
Christians when the Holy Spirit came into their spirit and they were converted as Christians. So the Holy Spirit does do that work. The scripture is abundantly clear on this point. It's the Spirit of God that testifies of Jesus. It's the Spirit of God that brings to us conviction of sin. It's the Spirit of God that changes and regenerates us but it's not to be confused with the promise of the Father. That is a distinct experience. And that becomes abundantly clear as you read through the book of Acts, how on every occasion when the Spirit of God was outpoured, there was this Acts 2 experience. Acts 2.4 in particular. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Look in chapter 8 of Acts, where we learn about a great revival that God sent the evangelist Philip to go into Samaria and to preach the gospel. So Philip, in obedience, went to preach the gospel, and the Bible says many were baptized, so they were converted, they were saved. But when the apostles heard about this great revival and all of these salvations, they also went to Samaria. And what do we read in the scripture? That they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, we read about Saul's conversion. When did he get saved? On the road to Damascus, when God knocked him off of his high horse. Lord, Lord, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul had a divine encounter with the Son of the living God, and his life was radically changed and transformed as he repented of his sin. And then the Bible tells us that three days later, as Paul, in a blind condition, crying out to God, no doubt, in deep repentance for all of the havoc and the heartache that he brought to the church of Jesus Christ by persecuting believers and throwing them into prison. God says, Ananias, I've got a little job for you. I want you to go and speak to Saul of Tarsus. God, are you kidding me? Saul of Tarsus? He's the guy that's throwing everybody in prison. He's that Pharisee that is so zealous. I mean, he is unbelievable. He, 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 his religion means everything. To him. He'll die for his religion. God says, he's my chosen vessel. And he's going to speak before kings. But he needs you to go and minister to him. So Ananias, in obedience to God, walks in and says, Brother Saul, huh? acknowledging that if God accepted him, I better accept him too. He's now my brother in Christ. And the Bible says he laid hands on him and prayed for him to be healed, and he prayed for something else, for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 10, God sends Peter to the household of Cornelius, Cornelius was so hungry for God that he didn't only want to receive the message himself. When he heard that the apostle Peter was coming to his home, he invited all of his family. I mean, that house was packed with people. And Peter preached the gospel. And as he was preaching the gospel, do you know the Spirit of God was doing something in their hearts? They were hearing it. They were receiving it, they were believing it, and God was doing the miracle of regeneration. You know, salvation doesn't, you know, we, we take, we, we have these things, this process, this process. When a heart is ripe for God, crying out to God, Jesus, save me. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross. I believe it's by your blood that my sins are forgiven. That while Peter was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, what does the scripture say? The Holy Ghost fell on them. Let's read from Acts 10, verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. 
Then we go to Acts 19. Paul comes to Ephesus and he finds disciples there, so excited to find Christians there. And he says to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, no. Were you baptized? Yeah, we were baptized with the baptism of John. Paul says, oh no, there's another baptism. And so they baptized those believers in the name of Jesus. But they answered Paul and said, we have not as heard so much of such a person as the Holy Spirit. And when Paul heard that, the scripture says in Acts 19 and verse 6, he laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. This is the promise of the Father. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said is for every believer. And this mighty baptism in the Spirit is for one purpose. We read about it in Luke 24 and verse 49. And behold, Jesus said, I'm sending you the promise of my Father, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because we need power. And Jesus said, you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what will this power do? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. See, Jesus understood something, that people just getting saved isn't enough, that they need a second definite work of grace, which we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus understood that the disciples lacked what was necessary in order for them to do the task that he commanded them to do, to go into all the world and make disciples People of God, we can't fulfill our God-ordained commission, and that's for each and every one of us. You know, sometimes people think that's the pastor's job. It's everyone's job. Every believer calling others to Christ, leading them in the ways of Christ, discipling them. Everyone disciple. You know why the church isn't growing today? Because everybody's sitting back thinking, oh, that's the job of the evangelist, that's the job of the pastor, that's the job of the apostle, that's the job of the teacher. Yet when we come together in the church, it's our responsibility to equip you to do what? To do the work of the ministry, to fulfill the great commission. Go into all the world. What's your world? Your neighborhood? Your workplace? I can't be in your workplace, but you're there. You could share the love of God. You could be a light for Jesus in a dark world. But we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew they needed power from on high. And you notice it wasn't just the 11 apostles who were gathered together in the upper room. There were 120 believers, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, all together waiting for the promise of the Father. And so the task that is before us, God says, I'm giving you the equipment to do the job that I'm calling you to do. I'm giving you the supernatural power for becoming a bold witness for Jesus Christ. You will receive power. That Greek word is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that word. What's dynamite? It's explosive power. You know, if dynamite contains explosive power, can you imagine what the dunamis of God provides? I mean, there are not adjectives enough to describe the power that can come into our lives as we open our hearts for the Holy Spirit to fill us, enabling us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. 
to show forth the life of Christ. You and I can't witness for Jesus by the life that we live outside of the Holy Spirit of God. We can't do it. It is not in this nature to do that. You could try to be a goody good Christian. You could carry your Bible around. That's not proving that you're a Christian. It's loving the unlovely, forgiving the offenses, showing kindness, showing love, reaching out in mercy, doing good deeds. That doesn't come naturally. It comes as we are filled and enabled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you shall. There are no ands, ifs, or buts about it. You shall receive power. When? When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Not when you sit in church. Not when you're doing religious things. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to come upon us? The answer is really given in the mouth of John the Baptist. When the Spirit of God revealed to him, even before he baptized Jesus, or maybe it was after, I don't know, but he says, I baptize you with water. All the people that were coming to the Jordan to be baptized by John he said, this isn't the be-all and the end-all. I want you to know something. There is he who is mightier than I that is coming. The strap of his sandals, I am not worthy to untie. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Yeah, I'm immersing you in water for the washing away of your sins. But I want you to know something. When Jesus comes on the scene, and when he says, I'm going to send the promise of the Father, that Holy Spirit of God is going to come and baptize you. What happens when you get baptized? You get immersed. You know, you can fill a glass with water, right? And so that glass is full of water. But if you have a sink that is full of water, and you put that glass into the water then that glass is fully immersed. There's water on the inside, there's water all around. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Some people are content to know, oh, I have the Spirit of God when I got saved. For no man can call Jesus Lord but by the Spirit, and that's true. It is the Holy Spirit that brings that regeneration, that brings that salvation, that brings that new life. But then we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit where we don't just have a little bit of the Holy Spirit in us, but the Holy Spirit is all over us. We are immersed in Him and we are walking and living and moving in God. And God is walking and living and moving in and through our lives it's a baptism of fire it's a baptism of fire sometimes we don't like the image of fire do we because fire burns but I want us to understand that fire consumes and that's why the Holy Spirit is called fire because he consumes and he burns in a way that purges away all that is not good all that is not God-pleasing, all that is not God-honoring, burns it away. And it happens as we receive the Holy Spirit. None of us are 100% pure. But as the Holy Spirit comes into us and fills us, he purges us so that we could reflect more and more the likeness of Christ. As fire consumes, it will consume all of our carnal nature and it will fill us with a zeal and a passion for holiness and to do the will of God. It consumes all that is not of God. The Holy Spirit gives fiery passion to pursue God. So many Christians are so complacent, are so lackadaisical. Oh, it's Sunday, do I got to go to church again? You know why so many people aren't here today? Because they just don't have a passion to be here. 
But do you know what? If the Holy Spirit of God ignited a fire in their spirit, they would be the first one in this church. They'd be here at this altar on Sunday morning praying, God, just fill this house with your glory and have your way, Holy Spirit. Do a new thing. Radically change us. Transform us. Renew us. Revive us again in the midst of the years. Make known your power and your glory. We're hungry for you. We need you. That's the passion that the Holy Spirit puts in us. The church of Jesus Christ today, by and large, does not have that fire because we're not full of the Holy Ghost and with fire. It emblazons us to shine brightly in a, a world of darkness. It makes us like John, who was a burning and a shining light. How many of us would like to have that set of our lives? I was a burning and shining light. A burning and shining light. That doesn't come because you're just pretty and you just have certain qualifications and a, a great personality. It comes as the personality or the person of God, the Spirit Himself, comes into us, filling us and living the life of Jesus in and through us. Fire that results in dunamis is the power of God. How's that power demonstrated? It's power that produces power first on our hearts that produces the love of God. I think we often forget that the chief characteristic of God is He is a God of love. Sometimes as Religious zealots, we want to talk about God as being a, a God of judgment and justice. And He is. He is all of that. But if He were not a God of love, where would any of us be today? For God so loved this world, this world full of God-haters, and people who were His enemies, people who nailed Him to that cross. He so loved so that you and I could know his love and eternal life. Do you have power on your heart today that produces the revelation of the love of God? Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians and he said this in chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened, how? With power through his spirit. This is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. And when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we will get this revelation in our inner being. Christ will dwell in our hearts by faith. We will be rooted and grounded in love. Not in religion. Not in legalism. Not in a religious facade. Rooted and grounded in God who is love. And we will have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the unknowable, the love of God that passes knowledge. You say, Pastor, why would he pray such a thing if it says it's not possible to know it? <laughs> Do you know how he concluded this prayer? Unto him who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or even think. God, I know this finite mind can't possibly comprehend the fullness of your love, but I thank you that by the power of your Spirit, you can reveal it to me day by day and moment by moment, and that as I walk in the Spirit, as I'm ruled by the Spirit, you will reveal to me the riches of your love, and I will know it in all of its dimensions, in its length, in its height, in its breadth, and in its depth. See, this isn't a theological understanding. This is an experience that radically changes our lives, but it only happens by the power of the Spirit of God. That's why there's priority to Pentecost, because we need the Spirit of God. In the book of Acts, we read, it was power to produce boldness in the heart's of the disciples, Acts 4 and verse 29. When they were being persecuted, they went to the place of prayer and they said, now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue 
to speak your word with all boldness. <laughs> and then we read the place where they prayed, the house was shaken, and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. And God gave them fresh boldness to go out and proclaim the word of God. Here's where some of us have it wrong. Oh, I received the Holy Spirit. Let me see, it was like 40 years ago, we were having a revival meeting in our church and the evangelist said, everyone who wants to receive the Holy Spirit, come forward and we're going to pray that you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I, and I went forward and I opened my mouth and I prayed and God filled me with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that verse in Ephesians 5 and 18 is in the present perfect tense that means be being filled. That filling that you received 40 years ago is not doing you any good today. Every day of our lives, we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, may God put a cry in our hearts today. God, fill me afresh. Fill me anew. Give me fresh boldness to live for you and to witness for you and to be your spokesperson in a dying world. Amen. And quickly, power on our hearts. Joy. Acts 5 and verse 40, and when they had called on the apostles, they beat them, they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And the Bible says that the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. I want to tell you this morning, if you don't have God in your heart, there is no way in the world you get beaten, you're going to rejoice. It, it is only by the power of the Spirit of God that you could rise up above that persecution. You could rise up against the nastiness that just came against you and still rejoice. You know why we're defeated? You know why we're discouraged? We've taken the offense. And we're not filled with the Spirit. We're filled with offense. And we're not Living in the victory because the Spirit of God is the one who gives us the victory. Only the Spirit can make us rejoice when we're having difficult times. Yeah, power on our hearts, but also power on our hands. Acts 19, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. They were so extraordinary that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, I want to ask you a question. Was the Apostle Paul someone specially gifted to do these things? He was just a yielded vessel to God. On that road to Damascus, he made a surrender to God that said, God, oh, I've blown it all these years. No more, no longer. Now, all that I am, all that I have, all I will ever be is yours. Take me. Here I am. Fill me. I'm yours. And God said, I've got someone now that I could flow through in fullness. He was an ordinary man with extraordinary power to do the miracles that God wanted done, that the Son of Jesus Christ would be glorified. God wants to work through each and every one of us, not to show that we're miracle workers, because we're not miracle workers. We're just his hand extended. It's his hand extended. It's the power of God flowing through us. Jesus said, these signs will accompany those who believe. He didn't say those who are apostles, those who are prophets, those who are pastors. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's for today. That's the priority of Pentecost. If we are 
full of the Holy Spirit of God. God's Spirit wants to flow through us, working miracles, blessing and healing and touching. We've got this mindset and this paradigm. Well, if God's going to do it, he, we put him in a box. Oh, it's got to be on a Sunday morning. They got to come to the altar. The pastor needs to anoint them with oil. I'm not putting that down. God works in that way. But guess what? He wants to work that same way, Monday morning in your workplace, in your family, that as we are walking full of the Holy Spirit, as we are staying up to date with God, that's why people miss church and, oh, I'll wait till next Sunday, hope to get something then, and they're barely making it through the week. How do you live a Christian life that way? Every moment of every day, I need to know that I'm walking with Jesus and that his spirit is dwelling in me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is quickening my mortal body, is making me alive unto God, is making me aware that I could cry, Abba, Father. It's not just words, but it's coming out of the depth of my heart because he is my God and I am in a personal relationship with him. And I hear what the Father is saying and I'm doing what the Father is doing doing that's the life that God has called each and every one of us to live as his disciples and thirdly and briefly as I close I just want to mention not only power on our hearts and power on our hands but power on our tongues and I save the most obvious for the last because what happened in the book of Acts those who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit they spoke with other tongues. We call this the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father. Now don't confuse this with 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 where Paul enumerates the nine gifts of the Spirit. They are nine gifts that are given as the Spirit wills, as the needs present themselves. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He finds an available vessel and he says, you, I'm going to give the gift of faith right now. You, I'm going to give the gift of healing right now. We're all in this together. You see, it was 120 in the upper room. And Peter said that this gift is to all the Lord our God shall call. So the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians is not the same as the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is what the disciples and the 120 received in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. They were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. God wants to bless you and he wants to take this most unruly member. Isn't it amazing how significant God works he says, when I fill you, I'm going to take the member of your flesh that is the most unruly, most out of control, and now my spirit is going to control it. And I'm going to give you a heavenly language. I'm going to give you a prayer language so that when you commune with me, you could commune with me in the spirit. Who understands the things of God? The spirit does. The scripture says in Romans chapter 8, likewise the spirit helps us in our infirmities or in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There are times when we say, God, I don't know even know how to pray about this. And God says, well, let, let the spirit of God pray through you. And then you just open up your mouth and let the Spirit of God pray through you because once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is not something that you leave at the altar. That's something you take with you every day in your life. It's something you put in your spiritual arsenal. It's something because the Bible says, he that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Do you want to get built up in your faith? Some people aren't built up in their faith because they're not praying in the Holy Ghost. Jude says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Holy Spirit. As you pray in the Holy Spirit, your spirit is being built up. Yeah, your flesh might be weak, but your spirit is being built up. God is anointing you. God is filling you that you could walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. On the day of Pentecost, they heard them praying and praising in an unknown tongue. 
And God gives us that gift that we could pray and praise him in an unknown tongue. Some of the most effective praying that we could do is by praying in an unknown tongue. Because sometimes our understanding gets in the way. When we have a problem, we're going to tell God how to fix it. God, this is what you need to do. I'm believing you. I'm standing on your word. And then we give the outline to God as if he doesn't know what he needs to do to answer that prayer. But when you're praying in the spirit, your spirit is now uniting with the spirit of God. <laughs> and it's getting right through to the throne of heaven. What a glorious privilege is ours today. But I, I want to ask the same question that I ask about communion this morning. How hungry are you? Are we hungry for the fullness of Jesus? The fullness of Jesus is not just accepting him as your savior. It's accepting him also as your sanctifier. It's accepting him as your baptizer. It's accepting him as your soon coming king. But today we're talking about the priority of Pentecost. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Have you been immersed in the Holy Spirit? Has God blessed you with the gift of tongues? He wants to bless you. It is a blessing. And I am not here to make anyone feel that they're a second-rate believer if they've not been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I know that there are many who are full of the Holy Spirit because they walk in the Spirit, they live in the Spirit, and maybe they've just not been given that prayer language. But that, that's just a benefit that God wants to, to give every believer and I just want to stir up your hunger for what God has for each and every one of us. A.W. Tozer, who was not known as a Pentecostal, yet he was one who was after the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, before we can be filled with the Spirit, the desire to be filled must be all-consuming. It must be, for the time, the biggest thing in the life, so acute, so intrusive, as to crowd out everything else. Can we say that describes my desire today? Then Tozier says this, the degree of fullness in any life accords perfectly with the intensity of true desire because we can have as much of God as we actually want. How much do you want of God today? How much of the Spirit of God do you want today? I think there are some of us that are sitting in this church thinking about the time when we first received the Holy Spirit. But maybe since then, it's been years since we've exercised the blessed gift of praying in a prayer language, of opening up our hearts and saying, fill me now, fill me now. I want us to stand as we close. We're going to sing a song that is a prayer. Holy Spirit, come and fill my heart, fill my life, fill me with your fullness. Let's sing it as a prayer. If you wish to come to the altar, if you wish for me to lay hands on you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we'd, we'd love to have that privilege.